0: Good morning, can you all hear me in the back? Oh good, I have a, I have a soft voice church for those who haven't talked with me, so uh, I will do my best to speak up. I first want to say what a tremendous honor it is to be here with you. I'm so grateful that the church leadership asked me to speak today. Really, just very humbled, um, it has been many years since I have spoken in in a worship service. Um, i'll tell you all a funny story to start with um, that I hadn't planned actually. The first time I ever spoke was in a rural church in Tennessee, and after I spoke for some forty five minutes uh, uh, the the minister spoke to me and said, son, that was a fine talk. And I I said, well, thank you so much, sir. I was all of about 17. And he pulled me over in an alcove that was away from everyone else. And he said, uh, but the next time you come, we want you to preach. (laughs) Um, Let me just say, church, I'm not here to preach, I'm really here to share my heart with you about some burdens that I have, that the Lord has given me, that I feel impressed to share with you. And so um, I pray that it's done in that sense. Um, Our reading from the New Testament for the lectionary is actually right in line with what I wanted to talk about today. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 3. This is verses 14 to 21. I'm in the New American Standard Version here. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you all, but I was able to worship in that last song. I pray that you were. It reminds me very much of the ideas that we were just reading about. Um, He truly is the Holy One, and we worship him. Today, I want to talk to you all about what I think is the core teaching in this prayer. This is, this is one of the most beautiful prayers, I think, in Scripture. This is very close to the model prayer and to the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he died, uh, the uh, high priestly prayer in John 17. The truth that I want us to really focus on today is found actually in verse 19. It says to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. This passage means many things and it has lots of deep truths for us. And by the way, it is also an excellent model for praying as well. But... I want us to focus on this key condition for having the fullness of God within us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 tells us that the fullness of God is actually found in Christ. And if we want to have that fullness in our lives, we must know the love of Christ. I need to confess something to you all. It wasn't until I was 36 that I began to even comprehend a part of what this means. I was, uh, I believe that I was saved uh, sincerely at the age of nine in my bedroom at home. But it wasn't until age 36 that I began to understand that there was such a thing as falling in love with Jesus Christ... Honestly, you all, I I had much more the idea of His holiness. And by the way, His holiness is also vital. But here we're focusing on the love of Christ. I don't want you, though, to disconnect these ideas because they're connected throughout Scripture. If you look in places like John chapter 14, what you'll see is, is that the love of Christ is intimately connected with obedience. John says things like this in verses 21 and 23. Those who keep my commandments those are the ones who really love me. And those who love me will keep my commandments. So that they they imply each other. And I want us with that idea in mind to talk about this Obedient love. We also might call it loving obedience. It's really both. And I want to start off with a very specific set of commendations for this particular church. Let me stand out here, you all, because I want to speak to you all directly. Um, I've been in, at Harvest Point now for a year. And um, you all didn't know I was observing you, did you? <laughs> well, yes, I think we all do. But I want to share with you three observations that are strong commendations for any church, and I hope you'll receive them that way. When we think about the love of God and the love of Christ the very first thing that comes to mind is, is actually having a love for him as a person. We, also, we often think of him as just loving him as God, and that is true. But Jesus is actually a real person, church, and he wants to have a vital, loving relationship with you. That was news to me when I was 36, 20 years later, I'm I'm starting to get a glimpse. And in this church, I see that. I see people who have that kind of love for Christ, who want to pursue a very personal relationship with Him. Let me assure you, you all, having lived in lots of other places, I can tell you that that's not always true but I am so grateful to you all that you've cultivated that. And by the way, that is a reflection of the leadership of the church as well. I pray they know that. There's something, there are two other key things. One is not just love for Christ in this personal kind of way, but love for each other. Um, I don't know how many of you have been in churches where there was animosity or tension, but it's actually, uh, sadly, it's more the rule than the exception today. Um, Rebecca could tell you our experience, and that is, is in most churches, there is regular tension. I haven't sensed uh, any tension since I've been here any real tension. Now, <clears throat> speaking candidly with you all, church, any time you have more than two people, there'll be differing opinions. <laughs> I, I don't mean that. That would be unrealistic. What I'm speaking about is, is people who really seem to care about each other, not only in their spiritual walk, but also their, their day-to-day lives. I see you all investing in each other, and that's love. That is wonderful. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are what I just told you all, loving God and loving others as yourself. So you all are already well down this road, which I couldn't say in a lot of churches if I were speaking honestly. But there's something else. The scripture says that those who truly are in this loving relationship with Christ will not only love brothers and sisters in the church, but they'll love the needy. Um, I have told many different people that I've talked to about Harvest Point. I always say this same phrase because it seems to so describe you all. Small but mighty. This is not a big church, but it doesn't take a big church, you all, to have a big spiritual impact. I see the work with the homeless. I see the work with the um, elderly at Lincoln Village. I see the work with the Salvation Army. And the Huntsville Assistance Program, how many churches this size could pull off such a thing Not many. It is a wonderful set of ministries. And by the way, I've only mentioned some of them. I'm confident I've left out some. But I want you all to hear some of the really good things you're already doing. Pardon me. Alabama has done a number on my allergies, you all. You all are already well down the road in this loving Christ, loving God, loving the brothers and sisters, and loving the needy. Now, they always tell you in speaking to start off with the good news. Now I want to share with you a couple of things that are not not just specific to this church but is more a challenge to the church in general. Because these are things that I have observed that seem to be holes or gaps for many people today. And and I want to remind us of them. These are not new. But hopefully it will be a reminder to you of some of these areas that you might deepen that love for Christ. You've already got a great foundation, but let's build on that. So what I want to talk to you about now are a couple of key challenges facing the church. One is, is a concern for the lost, I want to share with you all some statistics, and those of you who know me somewhat know that, that I, it's somewhat a hobby of mine, but, but these are not just hobbyist things. These are very serious. So, worldwide, every three seconds, two people go out into eternity without Christ, 1001, 1002, 1003. Now that's, that's, I hope that somewhat wakes your sensibilities. Two people every three seconds. But now in the United States, let's bring, we're going to bring, start bringing this more to home. In the United States, church, and I know this number is going to surprise many of you, but let me, let me say honestly that this is based on actual surveys. If you're familiar with George Barna, this comes from his research. Only 3% of people in the United States claim to actually follow the teachings of Christ Now, let me step out here again, because this is very important. Did did you all hear? I didn't say claim to be Christian. There is a significant difference in those two things. Approximately 70% of the U.S. claims to have some affiliation with Christianity. But when you dig deeper into that and you ask them the question... Do you actually strive to follow the teachings of, of the Christ? Only 3%. That is, a, that is a tragic situation, and it is the lowest that it's ever been in the United States. Let me, let me talk to you about Alabama. The Pew Research Forum has some statistics that are on that same set of criteria that are highly correlated to this same idea. In Alabama, it's actually almost 10 times better, but that number is actually 29%. But think about what that means. That means that 71% of people in the state of Alabama, where it is said that you can throw a rock and hit a church, do you all know that saying? 71% of Alabamians do not claim to actually follow the teachings of Christ. Now, if you were to ask them, "Are, are you associated with Christianity? Is that part of your heritage? much more than that would say yes. So I hope those statistics will, or somewhat, brings your attention to the severity of this problem. Now, I don't want to dwell on those statistics. I gave them to you for accuracy, and also to help uh, you become aware of this, of how serious this problem is. I want to first give you what I think is God's perspective on this and that is is that I think his heart aches. He gave his very son, the Bible says, so that humans could have a relationship with him and yet the vast majority do not. Now if there's one thing that is clear about God's will in the scripture by the way as a side study for yourself look up all the places in scripture where it says this is the will of God what you'll find is is that every one of them pertain to salvation this is God's will for you now Many scriptures say things like this, but I'll, I'll quote to you two of them. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And 1 Timothy 2, 4 says that God desires that all people be saved. You see, God's heart is that every person, not this 3% like we were talking about before. God's heart was such that He was willing to give His Son so that we could have this eternal relationship with Him. And let's talk about what Jesus' viewpoint on this is. Jesus, the Bible says, is God's son. Now, I want to go through just a set of scriptures about that with you, that where Jesus specifically gives us indication of his heart about this subject. First, um, in Luke 19, Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was Jesus' primary mission. Now in order to accomplish that, he had to be the ultimate sacrifice. But that is his heart. And and look uh, further at like Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, we see Jesus right before his crucifixion, he is actually mourning over the city of Jerusalem. And he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. How sad it must be for the Son of God to have given his life for people who rejected him and who continue to reject him But it's not just the group, church, it's the individuals. The scripture says in Matthew 18 that Jesus is the good shepherd. He will leave the 90 and 9 that are okay and go and seek out that one lost sheep. That's his heart. Now let me make this a bit more personal and perhaps real for you. I share this story personally because I know it to be true. I don't want to ever say anything here that wouldn't be fully truthful. So I'm sharing this personal story with you in that way. I have only seriously thought of giving up on praying for one individual in my life. You might think, well, that, that's a kind of a low number... But I, can, I truthfully can tell you all that this person was so hardened. It was actually my uncle. My Uncle Harley. He was raised in a minister's home. And by the way, those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm a grandson of two ministers. Somehow it skipped me. <laughs> but my Uncle Harley was raised in a minister's home but he turned his back on that when he left home. And then he became very hardened. Um, Did not want to talk about anything related to this subject and was, was very elderly when he learned that he had cancer. God used that to get his attention. And after my grandfather had prayed for him, And after my mother had prayed for him and one of my aunts, and then I joined in 2003, just a few weeks before he passed, I truly believe, church, that my Uncle Harley, this hardened person, gave his life to Christ. Please don't ever give up on people. Jesus does not give up You may give up on him, but he, class, he will not stop until you say that's it. So, let's talk even more specifically about that. The father, in uh, Luke chapter 15, you all know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves the father's home. He had been there. He had truly been in the father's home. And if you think about that spiritually, we're talking about people who have been in, in Christianity. But then he walked away. And he spent his living in a far country, and then he found himself with the, with the swine. You remember? Well, what was the father doing that whole time Is my son coming home today? Will he come home today? Will today be the day? That's the picture we get of the father church. His heart is absolutely for the lost. We as the church need that same kind of heart. That heart that seeks out the prodigal. Let me give you another statistic Now this one, this one is going to hurt church. Let me just say up front, this one is very difficult. In the United States, children raised in churches just like this one, evangelical Christian churches, 75% of them by the age of 19 will leave the faith completely. one-third of them will leave and never come back. Do you see if you have this kind of heart for God how serious this is? Just imagine in a youth group of 30 kids raised in a church like this, knowing that statistically, on average, that 10 of them, when they turn adults, will leave and never come back. That is the reality in the modern church, in the United States at least. Now, you notice I'm not talking about all the reasons for this. And it's because my focus here today with you all is to help you understand the depth of the the problem. The depth of the problem is, is that there are millions of people dying lost. And yet, honestly, church, my perspective is, is that most churches have, have, have lost their sense of the desperateness of this situation. Did those statistics kind of alarm you? In my opinion, they should. They should be a cause to redouble our efforts and say, much as lies within me, they will step over me to do this. They will step over my prayers and my witness before them before they go back out of the church. And Speaking very candidly with you all, I don't see that in most churches. I don't see that desperateness to save these millions of people who are... Who are Perishing. And that's what the Bible says about them. Let me tell you some things about what else what Jesus says about this. Jesus, four, four to one, talked more about people entering hell than he did about heaven. This is someone who had been in eternity past... Who knew exactly what people were facing in eternity, and was trying to warn them? Please don't go there. He even told the story. You remember the story about rich man and the rich man and Lazarus? Have you all ever noticed that he actually names Lazarus by name? I take that to mean, church, that that's a real story, that's not just a parable. He's talking about a specific set of individuals. And that rich man who placed all his trust in money, he woke up after death in hell and pleaded for just a drop of water. Now let me quickly say, church, my goal here is not to scare you. It's to help you understand the biblical perspective on this issue and the severity of it. Now, the apostle Paul also gives us a perspective on this that I personally find very challenging, and I have to confess with you all, I'm not sure I could say this, but if you look at Romans chapter 9 verse 3, the apostle Paul says this about the about the people of Israel. He says I would wish myself damned if the people of Israel could come to Christ. Just think about that. Think about the love that Paul must have had for people who were lost, especially the children of Israel. Now, just ask yourself that question. What would I be willing to do to ensure that the lost people I know are able to go to heaven. What would I be willing to do? Would I be willing to get up 30 minutes early and pray? Would I be willing to serve as that witness in front of them, not worrying about what other people think, but being that consistent witness before them? Determining that with God's help, that they will not do this without knowing the truth. So that's one area. That's one huge burden on my heart. And, And let me say also, church, that this is something the Lord gave me. This is not something I did. I was sort of minding my own business in church. You all know what that's like? I was serving, uh, teaching in classes and all this, and one day I woke up, and the Lord put this huge burden that I just laid on you all. That was 2003. And He has helped me to be faithful in that and grow in it. And now, with his help, I strive to pray for every member of my family who is lost. And by the way, I have a big family on both sides, extended family. I counted up over a hundred people. The vast majority of my family, you all are, and that's for ministers' families All right, so let me talk to you about my other big challenge. The persecuted. Someone has said that in the 20th century that more people died for the sake of Christ than in any other century. And, and I have to say to you all as a scientist, I don't know that that's true. Because keeping statistics from the 1st century and up through like the 4th or 5th century were, were not the best. And even if they were, keeping those records is difficult. But it does speak to a key point. There have been millions of people in the 20th century who died for their faith in Christ. We know that. Millions. Now, let me give you some very current statistics about this. In North Korea, which is the most persecuted country in the world, 50,000 people who actually identify as Christian are in prison. Solely because of that. They haven't committed another crime they are there because they name the name of Christ. They, are will, they do exactly what you do, except they do it in a place where it is deadly to do so. In Nigeria, have any of you been reading about this? In Nigeria, there have been 10 mass kidnappings of school children playing outside in classrooms, and just gone. And these are all Christian schools. Ten of those just this year. Now, sometimes it's easy to dismiss uh, big groups. Let me make this more personal. Let me tell you two quick stories. One is about a girl named Tukta. Tukta is from Laos. Laos is next to Vietnam. And Tukta accepted Christ at a young age because her parents had helped her to come to that decision and because of the school that she was in. But she was assaulted by a man, and in fighting back, Tukta actually took his life, not meaning to. Classic manslaughter. Tukta was placed in prison, but here's the rub. That's that's bad. But what they told her parents was this, and I want you to imagine, you parents, imagine yourself being told this if this had happened to your daughter or your child. We'll let Tukta go if you will deny Jesus Christ. That's the kind of test that these people face. And this is just one. Let me tell you about someone else who's paying a big price. Their names are Jaime and Patty. They were living a very comfortable life in the U.S., but God called them to be missionaries to the Mixteco people in Mexico, a very rural tribe of people that are really not, they do not mix even with most other Mexican people, much less Americans. They went to this place because God called them there. After ministering to those people for several years, Some of the men took Jaime's life. And Patty, his wife, is left there without financial support, without anyone there who wants her there, other than a small group of people that they had reached. And yet Patty stays. Can you imagine having love for people who would kill your husband and being willing to stay? This is the kind of love that I'm, that I'm challenging you to, church. This kind of love that we were talking about before. This love for Christ that would love even your enemies. Jesus said this about that. If you love your enemies, that shows that you are actually a child of God. Now... What I want you to hear about this is from from Scripture. Is this? The Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter thirteen said that we shouldn't just casually pray for people who are suffering like Tukta and Patty. He what he said was this: You should pray for those people as if it were you sitting in that prison or if it was your daughter sitting in that prison. You should have that kind of love for people in the church that you would place yourself in their situation. And yet, and this is the part that is is somewhat difficult for me to understand, so many people, church, don't even seem to know or care about this much less intently pray for these people. Now here's an amazing thing about these folks. I receive a journal about them every month from a group called Voice of the Martyrs. And by the way, this is not a pitch for that organization. It's just a resource for you. But those people always ask for two things and it's fascinating to me that they never ask for material resources even though they desperately need them many times what they ask for is prayer and God's Word prayer and God's Word did you know that hundreds of thousands of people in other countries who are actively following Christ do not have the scripture in their language if, the, if it is in their language they can't afford to buy one they would love to have one you know here's what they do they will take up this bible and like say there's this, us in this church they'll divide it out a page at a time and then they'll bring it back That's how much they want God's Word. And they desperately want your prayers. It's amazing to me that when I read these terrific stories about what they've been through, that's what they ask for. They believe in the power of prayer. And they believe in God's Word. Now, lastly church I want to remind you about some things not to forget I've given you commendations and I've given you a couple of big challenges but I want to remind you if we're talking about deepening our love for Christ let's also remember what will not be loving Christ You know, whenever you're talking about a positive thing, it's always good to know what the negative would be. Well, the Scripture says something like this in 1 John chapter 2. This is verses 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust or enticements thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. You see... If you're trying to deepen your love for Christ, church, you can't be doing this straddling act. You need to decide which side you want to be on. He says, if any man love the world, that person does not have the love of the Father. I know that's a hard teaching, but that is what the Scripture says. And hear what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. This is verses 1 through 4. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on things above, not on things below. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. And when Christ is revealed, then you will be revealed with Him in glory. Amen. Amen.